scripture reading is from Acts 8, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Ezotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true, and it is given to us in love. Hey, everyone. My name is... Harrison Holbrook, I'm the associate pastor here. Um, I'm excited to bring God's word to you this morning. Um, if you're new and I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. Uh, so please come find me after the service. Uh, there we go. Uh, if you're new and I haven't met you, please come find me after the service. Would love to meet you. Um, have you ever desired to see Jesus in person? Have you ever desired to get into a time machine and go back to when Jesus was walking around on, on the earth? Uh, can you imagine having him give you this sermon instead of me? To have him healing you, teaching you, walking with you in your daily life, eating dinner with your family tonight, visiting your job tomorrow. If you're not a Christian in here, wouldn't seeing Jesus help you make sense of Christianity? If you are a Christian, what could be better than seeing Jesus in person? To see him face to face is a good desire that we all carry, and it's actually something we're promised on his return to see him face to face. But, dare I say, there is something better than that, according to Jesus, actually. When he was explaining to his disciples about what we saw in Acts 1, about him physically going away, his ascension, they were very sad, and he tells them this, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. To your advantage, meaning you will have something better 
than me here in person. It is to your advantage I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So according to Jesus, having this helper is more advantageous than having him here in person. And he goes away so that he can send this helper to us. As we've been going through the book of Acts as a sermon series, we've been focusing on the events that happened right after Jesus was ascended. Um, And sure enough, we saw him ascend in Acts 1, and then in Acts 2, something or someone descend down and hover over the apostles like fire and fill them, and they were given power to speak in tongues, to teach, to do miraculous signs, to heal people. And Jesus' disciples were surely wondering, who is this person or entity who has replaced Jesus? And what makes this helper, which we refer to as the Holy Spirit, what makes this helper a better replacement than Jesus in person? In our passage this morning, Acts 8, Luke is actually starting to answer some of these questions for us. And he wants us to see three qualities of the Holy Spirit that tell us about who he is. First is the intentional pursuit of the Spirit. The second is the impeccable timing of the Spirit. And the third is the inevitable Christ-likeness of the Spirit. So the intentional pursuit, impeccable timing, and inevitable Christ-likeness of the Spirit. And because of these qualities, my hope is that as you walk out of church here today, that you would feel more excited and confident walking in the Holy Spirit than you would if you were walking a few steps behind Jesus in person. My hope is that you'd be more confident walking out of here in the Holy Spirit than you would if you were walking a few steps behind Jesus in person. That's my hope. Before we dive in, let's, let's pray. Father, I ask that you would open our eyes this morning to this invisible person who's with us in this room right now. Would you open our eyes to see his heart, his overwhelming benefits, and the ways in which he is just like you, Jesus? Would you open our hearts to submit to him and walk in him as we leave this room today? Amen. So who is this Holy Spirit and what makes him so good? Uh, First, we're going to see the intentional pursuit of the Spirit. Look with me in verse 26 of your passage in your bulletin um, or your Bibles if you have them. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go to the south, toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So this is a desert place. It's meant to emphasize the strangeness of this command. Philip is commanded by God via this angel to go into the middle of the desert, away from the cities where all the people are, out into the middle of nowhere where you wouldn't expect to run into anyone on this road that ultimately leads to Egypt. And surely he's wondering, what is the helper, what does the Holy Spirit have for me way out here in the desert? And then verse 27, so he rose and went, and surprise, there's an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who is in charge of all of her treasure. So there's a person way out here in the desert. It's an Ethiopian. Now, Ethiopia here is not the same as modern-day Ethiopia. This is actually an ancient uh, nation that's in, in modern-day Sudan. Um, but this Ethiopian in, in the desert... Uh, is the, a eunuch to the Queen Candace, to the main ruler of this, this nation. And a eunuch is someone who works in the court of a royal woman who has close physical proximity to that royal woman um, who has been castrated, emasculated, to take away their danger, their threat, their power, their influence towards this royal woman. So they were servants in a weird, ancient, 
uh, they were they're safer uh, in a weird ancient way of thinking about that, um, in a frankly sad and dehumanizing ancient way. And so this eunuch was particularly important and a trusted servant of, of Candace's because he was in charge of all of her money and possessions. He was in charge of her treasure. So this would have been a, a pretty big deal guy uh, way out here in the desert with a lot of clout in his own country. And look in verse 29, the spirit says to Philip, go over and join the chariot. So it becomes clear that Philip is way out here because the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, has seen this eunuch, has known this eunuch, and has wanted to chase him down. And likely it's assumed that the Spirit had seen and known many other Ethiopians in that country that he wants to chase down via this eunuch. The Spirit is depicted as an intentional pursuer. And he's in intentional pursuit of this person and is using Philip, filled with the Spirit, to seek and find him. And then in the rest of the passage, which we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, the eunuch becomes a Christian, is baptized. uh, But then look at verse 39. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through. as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So the pursuing spirit is not really a time waster. Uh, he sought and found this man, job done. Philip miraculously transports to another place, to other people who the spirit is wanting to chase down. Now, like in other stories and acts, this disappearance and reappearance of Philip is an example of the extraordinary working of God as opposed to the ordinary working of God. Um, actually, all, all of this passage really is full of God's extraordinary work, meaning uh, you may not have had an angel appear to you physically recently. You may not have been audibly told by the Spirit, hey, go join that car over there. Um, you may not have been whisked away by the Spirit uh, at some point in your life. I have not had that happen to me. But we believe this account is real and that God is capable of these things, but it's not how he ordinarily operates. Uh, Acts is no ordinary time. It's a juncture in church history, and these are what the Bible refers to as signs and wonders. God's power on display more publicly than usual to give us certainty about the events that are taking place as being from God, and they're teaching us stuff about God as they do that. And so one thing that the eunuch would learn from the signs and wonders here in this passage, and that you all as readers are to learn here too, is that this eunuch's seemingly random encounter with uh, Philip was not random at all. The Holy Spirit is an intentional pursuer. He's using a Christian to do his pursuing. Now think if you were the Ethiopian, uh, you might have felt like a woman feels who's been proposed to in an elaborate way. Uh, I think we actually had a proposal recently um, in this church. Uh, Jess, congratulations. Uh, Playing piano up here. Um, So uh, when I was thinking about my own proposal to um, my now wife, I watched some proposal videos on YouTube. Has anyone ever seen proposal videos <laughs> on YouTube? Uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty wild. Uh, there's some pretty over-the-top proposals, one of which was uh, of a girl who's supposed to be having a, a random night with her friends. And she shows up randomly with them to this kind of long, winding walkway. And they just kind of randomly start going down this walkway together. And as she goes around these corners, on the sides, on the sides of the path of the walkway, there's, you start to see friends of hers, family, relatives, people from her past, just kind of like lining the side. And as, as she walks, they're saying encouraging things to her as she goes by. She's saying, you know, keep going. It's this way. We love you. We're so proud of you. You look beautiful. And the people get progressively more important to her as she goes. And eventually she finds herself at a beach. I don't know how she gets to a beach, but she does. 
and there's a, there's a TV on the beach. Somehow, I don't, you don't even see the cord. It's like buried or something. And she, uh, there's, a, there's a little kid in Africa on the, on the TV that she supports who's just zooming in from Africa. And she has this conversation with, with this kid, and she's in tears as she's talking to him. Um, the kid is like, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. Also, turn around. And as she turns around, her fiancé is on the ground kneeling on the beach with this huge rock in his hand. And so what she initially thought was random, a random night with her friends, was not random at all. All of those people were there at the direction of one person who was an intentional pursuit of her heart. And though she couldn't see that fiancé at the beginning, she began to realize as she walked that he had set all of this up. That uh, he had brought all these people from all over the country uh, that, that in those moments, those people are, are actually just messengers from him, uh, telling her how to get to him. And this is exactly what I think this eunuch would feel at this random encounter with Philip, is that it wasn't random at all. And though he couldn't see the spiritual entity behind it, someone powerful was an intentional pursuit of his heart. Had set all this up way out in the desert. Had brought Philip to him, such that Philip was just a messenger from that entity, leading that man to him. And that fiancé is the Holy Spirit, an intentional pursuer of your heart and my heart. And so what might this mean for you, uh, who live with that same pursuing spirit in our world? I wonder, who did you randomly encounter in your life that pointed you to Jesus? Who do you randomly encounter today that points you to Jesus? I used to work in a ministry at the University of Alabama called RUF, and one girl in our group uh, was a Chinese exchange student. And uh, she had come through this series of events. Basically, her mom in China was not a Christian, but had gone through a hard time, even before this girl was born. And during that hard time, God brought some Christians by her path who really cared for her, loved on her well, kind of restored her. And so when her, when her daughter was coming to America, her mom was like, oh, there's Christians there. And she goes, hey, when you go there, find the Christians because they're good. And, and they, um, they'll take care of you. And they'll teach you how to be good, too. That was what her mom, a non-Christian, told her. And so when she got to campus at the University of Alabama, we randomly run into her. Uh, and then she's very open to coming to, to our large group ministry. She's like, oh, yeah, my mom told me that y'all were great people. I'd love to come. <laughs> and so she comes. And sure enough, in the first couple of weeks, she hears the gospel and becomes a Christian on the spot. And what Acts 8 is saying that our ministry's role in her conversion is pretty small. Because we are part of a long, elaborate beach proposal. And we're just some of the last people in that line. The Holy Spirit's been pursuing her heart since before she was even born. Through her mom's time of need. Through the Spirit intentionally calling Christians to her mom. To them sending her to Alabama. To her running into us. To her hearing the gospel. Even the very moment um, of her hearing that, the Spirit had set up that every second of that. It was an intentional pursuit of her heart, and thank the Lord that the Spirit is very capable of finding what it's looking for. So Luke wants to teach you too, the people in your life who have pointed you to Christ, could be your Christian parent, your grandparent, a spouse, a youth leader, college minister, a pastor, or a friend, those who pointed you to Christ initially, and those who point you to Christ now, as you grow in your faith, God says, Make no mistake, these people are part of your long, elaborate beach proposal. They're sent by someone bigger in pursuit of your heart, and he's always chasing you. 
And actually, he's chasing you right now in this very sermon. Do you feel him coming after your heart with this passage? That's the intentional pursuit of the Spirit. Some of you might be thinking, sometimes he seems a little behind and is pursuing me. Or maybe he feels behind in some, pursuing someone you love. Sometimes I don't feel like he's with me. I'm falling into sin. I'm too fast. Maybe I'm too fast for this pursuer. Maybe he's not going to catch up. Why isn't he caught up to me in the way that I'd hope? This leads to the second thing Luke wants to teach us, the impeccable timing of the Spirit. Look with me in verse 27 to get a little more background and framing for this Ethiopian, kind of where he's at. Uh, He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. There's a ton of stuff here that Luke's original audience would know that you may not know. A eunuch, according to God's law in Deuteronomy, was not allowed into the assembly of God's people. This was because originally eunuchs were made during pagan worship to consecrate oneself to an idol. And so this purity law showed that God was against that practice. They weren't allowed into the the worship of Israel. But this law was still in effect, and that means that this man traveled 1,500 miles across the desert, 20 to 30 days journey, to the temple in Jerusalem, only to be turned away. Couldn't go in because he was a eunuch. Can you imagine the man's devastation upon arrival when he wasn't allowed in? This man was in the category of a God-fearer, meaning that he's someone outside of Israel who who basically loves and trusts in God, uh, the true God, but but he can't actually be a convert because he was a eunuch. And as he travels back devastating, he's reading Isaiah 52. Why? Isaiah is the Old Testament prophet that God used to speak directly to foreigner eunuchs about a time when they would get in. Here's what, Isaiah, here's what God says in Isaiah 56, just four chapters after where this guy's reading. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. Better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And to the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain. And I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. So Isaiah speaks directly to foreigner eunuchs. And God's promise is that those who are God-fearers one day will not only get into God's house as temple, but will have a permanent monument with their name on it in there. They will be better than sons and daughters of that house because they will be everlasting. And this will be especially meaningful to a eunuch who can't have kids, whose name would die with them, who has no legacy to leave in the ancient world which valued that more than anything else. So according to Isaiah, these promises to eunuchs are brought about through someone called the servant of the Lord. There are four songs about this servant in Isaiah, and the clearest and most descriptive is Isaiah 52, which is exactly what this guy is reading. Um, look, look in verse 30 of our passage again. So Philip ran up to him, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? He invited Philip to come and sit with him. 
And the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. This is a description of the servant of the Lord. Who was prophesied would be silent while he was being killed. Because he would be killed for the sins of the people willingly. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? Is it about himself or someone else? And so the eunuch wants to know, is Isaiah talking about himself or is it another person? Because he's asking, because he's desperately wondering, will I ever be able to get in to be a part of God's people? And who is the man who's going to grant me this? And how do I find him? Surely this is why the Spirit went to great lengths to put Philip in place right here, right now, at the most perfect timing imaginable. Beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Notice again the impeccable timing. This man, a long time ago, became a God-fearer. We don't know how. He travels 30 days to the temple. He gets turned away. He feels abandoned as he's searching Isaiah in this moment of deep need, wondering about this person. The exact moment of reading Isaiah 52, the good news of Jesus is delivered to him. And not only that, delivered right before he shows up to water in the desert. How did water get in the desert? Is it a coincidence? No. It's impeccable timing. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. This is the elaborate, long-scale planning, the setting up of every little detail by the Holy Spirit. This is a quality that he has that we're supposed to learn, is that he is a man, he's a person with impeccable timing. In the Lord of the Rings, uh, the movies, uh, Gandalf is an old wise wizard, and he's visiting his friends for a birthday party. And Frodo, their protagonist, confronts him, and he says, You're late. To which uh, Gandalf looks, uh, replies uh, seemingly angrily. He goes, A wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. And then they both start laughing. They laugh because Gandalf is joking. Uh, but Luke is telling us this quote is actually true about someone. That's the Spirit of God, whose timing is never late. It's never early. He's always arriving precisely when he means to. And so do you wonder about the timing of events in your life or in someone's life who you love? Luke wants you to know, like the, like the people who have been put in place in your life, the timing is also not random either. In fact, it is planned to the same detail and degree that this eunuch's moment was planned. To the very passage he was reading. To the moment on his travels when he passes by water. And that means that you just don't live in a random world. Uh, you live in a story with an author who plans your moments from before time began. And the author steps into a story and arrives in your life at precisely when he means to. And he may have been waiting until this very servant, sermon to tell you something. Maybe he's telling you, hey, Chris, hey, Jordan, hey, I haven't forgotten about my appointment with you. I am not running late. In your life. I am in intentional pursuit of you, and I will arrive right at the right moment. Maybe that's the message he has for you today. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's uh, he wants you to wonder, why is God showing me this passage today? Because this passage is not random. You being here is not random. You hearing this sermon is not random. Why would God be wanting to show you this right now?
These are the kind of questions you ask when the Spirit has impeccable timing. So we saw the intentional pursuit of the Spirit, impeccable timing of the Spirit. And lastly, you might be wondering, hey, these things about the Spirit are great, but you still haven't answered. How is the Holy Spirit better than Jesus in person? That leads us to point three, the inevitable Christ-likeness of the Spirit. So first I'm going to show you how Jesus and the Spirit are similar, and that will also help you understand how they're different. So Jesus is an intentional pursuer, is he not? Remember when he had to pass through Samaria and arrives at the woman at the well, happens to randomly encounter her, and she ends up converting and converting, converting herself and then also converting her whole town? Remember when he sought out and found Zacchaeus, the wee little man in the tree, uh, who uh, Jesus comes up and says, hey, I have to have dinner at your house today. And then Zacchaeus repents and ends up paying back double what he stole from everyone. Remember when Jesus sought out Peter fishing or Matthew in his tax booth? And these people end up writing a lot of the New Testament and starting the church. Remember when Jesus left heaven and came to earth as a baby to seek and find his lost sheep? Jesus is an intentional pursuer. Also, Jesus has impeccable timing. Remember the story of Lazarus when he intentionally waits to go until Lazarus has been dead four days. Until there's a smell. Just so he can show up and raise Lazarus from the dead and show his incredible power over death to Mary and Martha. Remember when Jesus took 5,000 people way out in the desert until they're too far away to, to, to return without fainting? In that exact moment, Jesus miraculously creates food for everyone just to show his miraculous provision. Remember when Jesus left heaven when the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4.4, 4, came to earth, set his face toward Jerusalem, and when his hour had come, he stopped praying in the garden and got up, was betrayed into the hands of sinful men, and then at exactly the right time, Romans 5, while we were still powerless, Jesus died for the ungodly. And then at a time appointed by the Father, he rose from the dead. And then at a time appointed by the Father, he will return to finish what he started. Nothing Jesus does is ever randomly timed. Jesus has impeccable timing. So Jesus, like the Spirit, is an intentional pursuer. He has impeccable timing. And get this, he also functions in the same patterns that the Spirit does. He's so one with the Spirit, they can't help but look alike. Look at the pattern of this story as a whole. The stranger Philip joins a searching and sad traveler on a road. The stranger Philip opens the scriptures to him, participates in a sacramental act with him, the baptism, and then disappears. Does that pattern sound familiar at all to you? The story of the road to Emmaus in Luke 24, written by the same author Luke, has a freshly resurrected stranger Jesus Join two disciples on the road to Emmaus. They're searching and sad. They think Jesus is dead. They don't recognize him. The stranger opens the scriptures to them, tells them the good news about Jesus. They arrive at their place and ask him to eat with them. Uh, hey, why don't you come eat with us? They break bread, sacramental act. And in that moment, they recognize who he is, and Jesus disappears. Join on the road, open the scriptures, sacramental act, disappearance. Do you see the exact same pattern? Do you see Luke showing you that Philip filled with the Spirit, is exactly the same as Jesus. This is the inevitable Christ-likeness of the Holy Spirit. Luke actually does this in almost every story in Acts. Remember last week, Stephen, filled with the Spirit, when he's stoned, he says two things. He gives up his Spirit to God, and he asks that God forgive those stoning him. Have you heard those before? The same two things Jesus says in Luke's Gospel when he's on the cross. Luke is showing you that Stephen with the Spirit is just like Jesus, what I call the Christ-likeness of the Spirit. And the crossover between Jesus and the Spirit is so strong 
that Luke considers Acts to be the things Jesus continued to do and teach, even though we're actually reading about things the Spirit-filled church continues to do and teach. That crossover is so strong that next week we're going to see when Saul is persecuting the church, Jesus knocks him off his horse and says, why are you persecuting me? Because he sees the Spirit-filled church in himself as the same thing. Jesus and the Spirit and the Father are three persons in one God. They're like a married couple. Uh, you know, we have this concept, two people become one. Uh, but being with one reminds you of the other, right? Because they've, they've rubbed off on each other. They're a lot alike. And this is the, the Christ-likeness of the Spirit. But there's one main difference between the two. Uh, the pursuer, the perfect timer, the Spirit does not have a physical body. That means the Spirit can be in an intentional pursuit of someone's heart, can arrive with impeccable timing, and in the same pattern Jesus would, but he can do it 10,000 places at once. You know how he does that? He does it through me, and he does it through you, and he does it through the person sitting next to you. He does it by filling you, commanding you, and walking in you as little Jesuses, just like Philip here, and he takes you to the people that he wants to encounter. This is why Jesus tells us, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, Greater works than these will he do. Through this new spirit-filled group of people, the church and Acts become a much bigger body of Christ, filled with the Spirit, and dare I say, a more advantageous version for the world than just Jesus in person would have been. It feels blasphemous to say it if Jesus hadn't told us that himself. And what this means... For us, for those of us in here who are believers, as you walk out of here this morning with that same pursuing, perfectly timed, Christ-like Holy Spirit inside of you, you walk out of here as a little physical Jesus, fully capable of the works that he could do at the same time he would do them, in the pattern that he would do them, to the same end of winning people's hearts to him. And also, as you walk out of here a few steps behind your neighbor, behind one of many Uh, It is not untrue to say that you're walking a few steps behind one of many Jesuses in person that are now going out into the world as a result of this change. And as all of us go out together, we are together capable of even greater works than Jesus did because we were a bigger body of Christ, a more advantageous system for the world, a community of believers powered by the Spirit. And so as we go from here today, your role in this season is simply one thing. Putting off your old self like a tattered and stained rag that you've outgrown. Putting that off. And putting on the spirit like a brand new tailored suit or dress. To walk in the spirit as you go out from here. To live out of the new creation which you are. Born again by the spirit. And if you do this, we're promised to have a lot of encounters like in Acts 8. Many people will meet God and go on their way rejoicing. So I hope that we walk out of here in the confidence of the intentionally pursuing, impeccably timed, Christ-like Holy Spirit. Amen.